0: queer, non-binary writer based in Southampton in the UK. I like to write about silly things and sometimes nature.
1: Jane Eid, they she, is a queer writer living in Southampton. They take their inspiration where they can get it, but particularly enjoy drawing it from the natural world. Their work is typically playful and crafted to produce orally entertaining spoken word pieces.
0: That is a good way to look at people though, as animals. Mm -hmm. That's like a concept that has been introduced to me recently, which helps them seem less threatening. Mm. Some people are threatening and like, Mm. that's not to take away from that. But if you're an anxious person, like I can be, it's easy to be like, Oh, why has that person done that? This must be my fault. Mm. But reframing that person is just like an animal that gets scared Mm. and cold and responds to stimuli in the same way as other animals. Just yeah, if you can have that in the back of your head, it, it does take a little bit of the pressure off.
1: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I can totally see that. I mean, it kind of speaks to me to one of the things I'm fascinated by is, um, is as you know, our our intrinsic connection to and sort of decided separation from from nature. I think you were like kind of touching on this a bit yeah. earlier. You know, we are part of the natural world, yet we've also elected to kind of be separate from it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of speaks a bit to the movement around queer ecology. Um, Yes, kind of reframing the way we see nature in a in, I guess in in less of a human way, kind of in a more kind of broad and inclusive way. In the sense that, like, when did we decide that animals were things that happened over there and we had our own kind of separate thing? Mm -hmm. Is it? Mm -hmm. uh, It's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of it's just what's kind of evolved naturally. But I feel there's almost quite an inherent sadness in that that you know we are so connected yet so disconnected from nature.
0: It's desperately sad and. I don't think it would be that much of a – it wouldn't be that much work to fix or or do some work on. And I think it's also quite interesting on the other side of that coin how many humanistic um, biases we place on animals mm. as well, you know, when it comes to sort of like the male and the female – animal and what they do and how we rationalise that by going like okay well I'm used to males and females doing this and and that the classic one which you know is probably a bit of a basic one to to bring up but it is a classic of historically and probably continues to be the case if people that are documenting nature see two male animals engaging in mating activity they will call it dominance behavior Mm -hmm. even if literally there is effectively like intercourse going Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. um or like i guess in monkeys more sort of like casual playful kind of activity but they're like no because boys this is dominant
1: absolutely and and
0: females as well and it only becomes sexual if it is the male and the female and it's just sort of like. Are you using your eyes here? Like what what lens has, has caused you to not even see what is happening in front of you? And yeah, it, it makes me wonder what else we've missed by imposing the human bias on on animals. Sound like I'm a biologist, say I don't know my ass from my elbow when it comes to <laughs> biology, but I am dead interested in it. But when you say queer ecology, this is something I keep seeing like crop up. What is it in a nutshell?
1: Um, So I would say queer ecology, um, I was reading this article uh, on the site Climate Culture, which was talking about it, and so a sort of uh, nutshell nutshell definition of queer ecology is queer ecology is a scientific theory that aims to bring together queer theory and ecology to shift paradigms away from the binary, rigid and heteronormative ways of understanding nature towards independency and fluidity. So that's Ingrid Barth writing about career ecology.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, I think that's a little bit over my head in terms of being able to translate that. But I assume with like some examples that would all become quite
1: well, I Well, I think, I think what you were talking about was a perfect example of that I have kind of, you know, behaviour that scientists try to rationalise in what humans have understood that to be, yeah. you know, as in like, oh, you know, those two male monkeys are going at it. That means this, you know, yes. because of what we have come to project onto our own society,
2: and mm-hmm.
1: and 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 men, or or as women, you know, engaged in in same sex, like you know, intercourse and relationships. It's kind of it's just, I suppose, seeing that that lens is there, and 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 understanding that that's not the way things have to be. Um, yes, and I think uh, the words. Uh, I'm not sure what you are I guess we'll talk about this in a second, but I guess like the word queer has so many different connotations, and I think um it's it's a word that seems to speak to a lot of people in a way of just kind of allowing permission for things to be more than they are that oh, yeah. the, the, they are unlike more than kind of the the binary allows. like mm-hmm. that's not to have a value judgment on a binary idea of of sex or gender. It's just you know, it can be and is by definition, restrictive and expecting one one way or the other you know? yes whereas the idea of queer which is more umbrella open term is kind of is, is saying well I think things are you know I think things are wider than that there's more possible than those two options
0: mm-hmm. yeah no I totally get that and I think wh- one of the things that I have been I probably could have just googled it to be honest but <laughs> here we are is um when I've seen the word queer used outside of a sexual orientation, gender identity kind of context, I have not known whether it is relating back to that context, but that's interesting to hear because that is how I see queer is sort of like just a departure from the accepted status quo Mm. and it needn't be about sexual orientation or gender identity, but obviously that is somewhere where it becomes very... Um, it's somewhere where that word can be used with like total abandon because we have just boxed ourselves into this like awful corner with it Mm. historically and and we're we're starting to figure out that we can celebrate the alternative. But yeah, a queerness in other areas of life and and in research in general, Mm. yeah, should be totally like welcomed and embraced. But breaking through... I guess it takes a lot of individual effort to identify one's biases in the first place because that's the whole point of a bias is that most of the time you don't know you have it. Mm. So you're not trying to be a bad researcher. You're not, tr- you're not seeing this behavior and going, well, that looks a bit gay, but I don't think I'm gonna write that down because that would challenge what I know about the human world. Mm. That- that's just not happening. That's all just happening on a subconscious level. So you think you're doing a great job. You think you're sharing information um, and yeah, it's work on a way more fundamental level that those individuals and we all are responsible for doing mm. to try and break out of that. Mm. And what we're going to find out when we do break out of that is like, whoa, I don't know. We'll see. We'll cross mm. that bridge when we come to it.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. And like, I suppose a bias, the problem with the bias is it, it's like, you know, existing inside a lighthouse you know you kind of you're you're so in it you can't even see your own light and how people kind of perceive that from the outside
0: interesting analogy yes I like that I've not heard that before
1: just a uh, fresh off the top of my head it speaks so.
0: to me as someone that works for the coast guard <laughs> So
1: yeah. wonderfully appropriate love then.
0: a lighthouse analogy um, <laughs> no problem at all but yeah no definitely it's interesting to hear it framed in that way the sort of queer the word queer mm.
1: Is it a word that you identify with or kind of feel like it speaks to you in any way?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's like the thing that I identify with the most in terms of labels, but by virtue of it being so broad, Mm. um, I I, I suppose when, when you're talking about identity, you maybe have one of two conversations, which is a deep conversation or... A surface conversation and i feel like queer is is a great word to use in both of those contexts because for you know or how you know jane we're in a work context or this is fairly quick like you're you're a queer writer we're going to put that on your bio like fine mm. great mm. uh no problem that tells people i'm not sort of like heterosexual in in mm. my in my case or you know and if people want to know more about it, they can ask. And then we're getting into that deeper conversation where you might ask me specifically different questions. But in the meantime, it's a really nice umbrella term mm. uh, that I think a lot of work is being done so that, you know, when I speak to sort of the salty sea dogs that I work with, mm. they will be familiar with that word. I'll probably have to tell them that it's not necessarily a slur anymore. Mm. Um, but that that's a quick conversation as opposed to if I was to go down the sort of the very technical list of sexual identities and gender identities. And I don't think that's a – it's not a bad thing at all um, to have a technical list. Every niche has its language Mm. and you wouldn't wouldn't berate a musician for talking about like fortes and chord progressions and things like that and say like, oh, you're being – exclusive and you're not being inclusive but mm. you, you might expect them to talk about those things in the community that understands them mm. whereas they might talk about like oh the rhythm is nice or or more understandable terms to people that weren't in that community so I think queer is a great word because it's understandable by all but it can be delved into you know the very mm. very belly of if that's the right time and place for it. Mm. That's a really long answer to a really basic question. I'm sorry about that, Rick. No, it's
1: great. I loved that. I loved that. It's clearly something that brings up a lot for you. And I think it is such a um a word that contains so much and that people have so many different relationships with. I mean, you touched on obviously um, you know, the historic association with queer, which to a lot of people still to this day is, you know, very triggering. And um, you know, as, as someone who uses the word queer in a in a in a in a positive and way, I feel it's quite empowering. And, you know, use that word on stage, I've had people, you know, clearly kind of, you know, bristle at the mention of the word. And I have to be respectful of that, but also understand that, you know, the meaning of words does change. And that's something obviously we know and participate in as writers, you know, is we're constantly discovering new ways of framing things. And I kind of what I love about the word queer is it kind of gives you permission, I think, to kind of to to, I guess, it just feels a very permissive word that it, it allows a lot and it gives a lot of space mm. to kind of explore yourself as someone who is who is who's not heteronormative, who is not kind of, uh,
0: doesn't necessarily
1: have a binary identity. It doesn't kind of fit into the, the the norm, basically.
0: Yes. No, I feel exactly the same way. It's like this massive, like, ball pit. Of
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely um, analogy. I love yeah,
0: that. Yeah, of, of identity that you can just playing and, and it's all about like queerness, I think, is about accurate expression, yeah. like genuine expression un, unbridled in that way. So, yeah, it's it's a great word and I'm glad it exists because I'm not sure how I would describe myself without it, I suppose.
1: I'm the same. Yeah, I mean, because like, as you as you touched on, you can get into, into the nitty gritty if people want to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I always think of kind of like, um, you know, sort of talking about the specifics of... You know lgbtqa plus identities and words it can feel a bit like if i was to go into like a i don't know a mechanics workshop and i and and i, I say what's that and they go like that's a non-binary wrench <laughs> like what you know like oh that's how i can see how it might feel for someone outside of yes. the, the lgbtqa yeah, yeah, yeah. community being like what the hell is that where do i even begin but because it's not part of your everyday use it does just feel like a, like this abstract concept this abstract tool um, but they they can be really useful when you're getting into the specifics. Whereas mm. a word like queer, as you as you as you explain so eloquently, is like it's just a a way for people to get an idea of where you're coming from. Like, okay, I get it. And if yeah. they want to know more, they can they can they can ask.
0: Yes, I think that's it as well. And I suppose it depends. It it doesn't necessarily come naturally to everybody, especially if you spend a lot of your time speaking in a technical language. And this this is can be attributed to literally anything. Um, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to switch out of that and speak to a, a different target audience. You know, if, if you've got a lot of experience speaking to young people or speaking to novices in that field, then you'll probably be quite good at it and you'll just naturally switch. And then every so often we'll slip in like an acronym and someone will be like, oh, what does that stand for? And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, that that's bad of me. Whereas for other people that aren't as good, the unfortunate impact of that can be that the recipient of that language goes like, well, I'm never going to understand this. And then they put a wall up and they go, it's way over my head, it's it's completely obscure. And it's not really, it's just, I mean, it would be completely obscure if someone started talking to you about, you know, dominant sevenths in music and you've just picked up a recorder. (laughs) But, you know, that's why we don't. Mm
1: touching on i think with your your love of nature and kind of the, the kind of joy that you find there is i think is kind of making making something extraordinary out of the ordinary i think that's something you're wonderfully good at um, and i wonder if you'd be happy reading one of your poems for us
0: oh yeah which one
1: uh raptor i would love to, i'd oh, love yeah. to hear that right. because i think <laughs> i think that speaks so so majestically to just finding joy in simple things which I think is the real I think is the real key the to
0: simplest things yeah yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. To, I think is the real key,
1: real key to um I don't know just kind of uh whether, whether as a person just kind of you know getting stuff out of life or you know as a, as, a, as a writer kind of being inspired I think it's a real art and you do it so beautifully
0: oh well, that's very kind of you to say and I totally loved writing this poem um it's still one of my faves, but obviously not favorite enough for me to put it somewhere that I can. You haven't got it.
1: I've got it tattooed on your body. I see.
0: Find it easily on my phone. <laughs> yeah, no, just got it tattooed on my heart. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. So this is my poem, "The Raptor." There is a creature I've seen her. She's armed with feathers and claws. Moves with a curious demeanor. Just a foot from the claw floor, they call her Raptor. And she captures in keratinous jaws. She's my carnivorous, ridiculous expression of force. She's snatching maggots and lice and catching serpents and mice. And she is chopsticks and miyagi and unfortunate flies. I say they're rolling the dice if she's patrolling her zone. She'll rip a spider from inside her two-dimensional home. They made a murderer and furnished her with wattle and comb. And her relations are cretaceous through a common genome. Now, I don't mean to be the expertise in digging up fossils, see, and I don't believe I need degrees in paleontology. It's just easy to conceive. She shares a certain biology with a species from a piece of recent cinematography, from skeletal morphology to the way that she walks, or ingredients she she seems to keep obsessively warm. She is the nearest to a velociraptor I ever saw. So listen up. My pet chicken is a dinosaur. Now, the best of you, you could decide, is not very bright, but our ancestors straight up survived a meteor strike, and if I had to make comparisons and keep it polite, you and your four-legged domestica are bark and no bite. See, every morning we've been drawing up this wicked rapport. When I'll be yawning, she'll be calling out her avian roar, and legend has it that its magic makes a meal of a lion, and when the devil heard my bird, it sent him fleeing and crying. She's always digging and scratching, and she's picking up jewels and getting rid of them because They have no practical use she's perched in figurative birch and seals the wits of a fox and shoots the breeze with ancient peoples and celestial gods she'll hit a european court to save a man in the stands and go absorbing evil spirits like the best-selling brand this enchanted winged biped makes my breakfast and more she is my prehistoric mythologic miracle cure and like i told you before Something you shouldn't forget, that you may be used to take the view of poultry and eggs. She is descended from some fellas that will tear off your head. So where you see an easy meal, I see a tiny T-Rex. The end.
1: That's just absolutely gorgeous. I, I love, love that, that so much.
0: And when I, I don't even, yeah. Am I allowed to say I love it? I do. I love it. It's all yeah. about joy, isn't it? I'm reading that. I haven't read that in a while. And the third verse is all just myths. Mm-hmm. And I can talk you through one, if you like. Yeah, please do. So I grew up in uh, Brighton, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, might explain a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Gives Um, a couple of clues, yeah. yeah. uh, I love Brighton so much. I just can't afford to live there. Um, I also love Southampton deeply. Uh, So there's, yeah, a few things here that are like from Aesop's fables and, and bits and pieces like that. But... There's The line I put in, it says the devil heard my bird and it sent him fleeing and crying. So I don't know if you are familiar with the national park called the South Downs. A little bit, yeah. So it runs from sort of like Winchester all the way over to like Eastbourne. It's about 100 miles in length. Amazing, great nature, just so beautiful. So lucky to have it here in the south. And there are a couple of, um, you know, I suppose classic points in the South Downs, one of which is called Devil's Dyke. Mm-hmm. Have you been?
1: I've not been there. No. Oh,
0: you can love it. You should go. So, Devil's Dyke is this absolutely like massive non glacial valley. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, if anyone's listening, you just Google it. It's super, super cool. Um, It's right on the top of this ridge. If you look sort of over to the north, it drops off away really steeply, like so steeply that paragliders will just set up on the top and run at full pelt towards the end of the hill. And then eventually they'll become airborne and they're like 800 feet in the air, amazing. And then on the other side of it, there's this great big valley. And the valley kind of snakes its way, you know, from a sort of westerly direction down to the south um and then it ends up being the A27 so i don't know what it looked like before the road was there mm. but the story goes that um well obviously to the south of that is the sea mm. and brighton and the devil had decided that he was very upset with how pious the people of north sussex were so north of the south downs the big hills mm. And he thought, well, I haven't been able to infiltrate them mentally, um, so I'm just going to have to drown them all. Mm. Uh, so the devil is, like, gigantic in this in this story. And so he gets his spade or whatever the devil uses for his um, horticultural work. And <laughs> he starts digging. He starts digging a big channel mm-hmm. from the sea to through the South Downs to Ditchlin. And the idea is that the sea is going to come in and drown mm. everyone. And he's doing this at sort of x o'clock in the morning and an old lady um who lives on the hill sort of was up and about doing something and she looked through her window and she's like oh wow the devil is digging a channel to drown everyone in ditchling what can i do and so she went outside and she grabs uh, i think there are various birds that find their way into this myth but she grabs one of her chickens and like gives it a bit of a shake And the chicken wakes up and starts making loads of noise. And despite the fact that the devil's like this, you know, like omnipotent, like negative force, apparently he's not so good at telling the time. And so in a panic, he hears this chicken and thinks, whoa, I've lost track of time. It's nearly dawn. Mm. And he legs it and he legs it back into the sea. And as he's running away, these great big clods of dirt fly off of his heels and land on the South Downs. And they represent... This great big, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of like a spur, like a, a hill that kind of like goes out of the main ridge. Okay. Um, and they land there and there, you know, there's one called Truly Hill and there's one called Fulking Hill, which is a hilarious name. And these are the clods of dirt that flew off of the devil's hooves when he was running away. Um, and I just think that's so cool that it was a chicken, that like mm. it's the, or you know, chicken and a ladies you know quick weirdness obviously mm. <laughs> in the face of like the ultimate negative power um it's just the star of this show and mm. i'm so pleased because i've loved that story ever since i heard it as a kid and i'm so pleased i could crowbar it into a poem about chickens that i also love mm. bit of a monologue from me but hope, uh, hopefully was, you don't mind that was lovely
1: <laughs> oh, of course not thank you for sharing that i think right, i love it i think I mean, yeah, sort of touching on the subject of like folklore and folk stories. I think it is kind of just seeing, seeing the magic of possibility in the world around us. It reminds me of a, a folk tale I know from my brother living in Estonia for a couple of years. Mm. And there's a lake outside Tallinn, the capital. And the legend goes, there uh, folklore is a big part of like the Baltic tradition in uh, the three countries: Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And um, the legend goes that. Um, there's this lake outside the outside Tallinn capital. And every year, there's an old man who lives under the lake. Mm. He comes and knocks at the city door. And he's basically asking every time, is the city finished? Because the deal is, when the city is finally finished, he's going to flood the city. He's going to let the kind of lake cascade forth and flood the city. So to this day, there's a kind of a rotating uh, responsibility for one building in the city to be unfinished in air quotes so like they've got some scaffolding up so it might be like a bank one year or a government building and they stick to it so religiously
2: that's great you know,
1: because because of the power of folklore and kind of that That's amazing that kind of almost like holding on to this sort of childlike magic and seeing mm. the world you know which i see in that poem kind of you know like elevating the chicken to the kind of like height and grandeur of its ancestors yes. and kind of seeing that in the modern day and i think that's the joy I think writing particularly when you write about nature whether you write about it in a sort of folkloric way or in a kind of more uh, sort of today or Mm. literal way is kind of just elevating the everyday
0: yes definitely and that's that's the joy isn't it and that's where writing can be so helpful is just picking or articulating everybody like I spent about half an hour watching a bee (laughs) this Mm -hmm, morning mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was nice in the garden went somewhere the other day and bought an azalea and it has flowered into this like almost it all so bright pink that it almost gives off light by itself Mm. when you get to that sort of dusky weird you know ultraviolet kind of vibes in the air it looks like it's glowing and the bees love it and I just watched this bee and I just thought like there must be a hundred poems about bees mm. and why is that because that that's a real joy mm. and joy is really wonderful if it's shared as well yes, and yes. if we can turn that into a piece of art or words then it connects everybody because everybody's like what you know unless you're phobic of bees i guess i <laughs> <That> might be <laughs> might not be super inclusive but everybody's had that moment in nature and you get like this huge feeling of like validation and maybe nostalgia and, and just general happiness. When you understand that it's not just you that's, that's seeing that mm. um, you're not being made to feel like a bit of a, I've been, I've been in situations before where I've talked about the chickens I keep, cause someone has said, how was your weekend? And I've said, Oh yeah, got some new chickens did this and that. And they kind of look at you like, yeah, that's nice, but are you a bit thick? And I'm, they're not saying that, <laughs> you know, they're being perfectly polite, but my the sadness for me, there is that just like, you'd get this, you would get this if you mm. were there with me and you were, and your, you were, your mind was free enough from whatever it is that's dragging you down to appreciate, you know, the fantastic intricacies of like a feather, on a bird, or like the mm. way they communicate with each other, and and you would get it. Mm. And I'm not thick. I might be simple, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not thick. Um, oh. And yeah, just like I, that is something I feel passionately about, and I guess that's where it comes into my writing is because I just I know this is life changing, and I know it's a completely. Perhaps a completely different lens for some people to look at the world in, and I I just feel like you know, a little bit um, evangelical about it. Perhaps mm. like, go on, give it a go. Give seeing the world in this in this way a go because you're probably going to love it.
1: Yeah, that's what I, one of the reasons I, I love that poem so much because it is like, it's it's a gentle encouragement to the listener to be like, well, you could see. The world in this way if, if, if you like you know the, i'm sure there's things in your life that you could you could uh like lionize you know that other people would think well what's so special about that you mm-hmm. know but that's that's uh that's the wonderful thing about i think seeing the way in the world in a joyful way you know there's no right or wrong answers and i think simple probably is the operative word you yeah. know it's like joy doesn't have to be complicated and, and grand and, and and massive and i think it certainly kind of resonates with i think So one of the things that uh, sort of drove me to 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 do this project and to kind of inquire into queer joy with queer writers is that certainly in putting out these episodes over Pride Month is that, you know, like sometimes it can feel like joyful queerness is has to be this huge, massive thing. Mm. Um, But it can just be, you know, kind of like, you know, appreciating something very, very small and, and like kind of. Yeah and modest about your life that you enjoy and, enjoy and just kind of like just living with that and really relishing it.
0: Yes, I I, I really agree. And I wonder what you think about, because obviously in the queer community, we're blessed to be surrounded by mm. some incredible activists, mm. but I think there's a dark side to activism sometimes where you can perhaps fall into what I would see as a trap perhaps some people would see it as a harsh reality that there will always be work to be done. Mm. So are you allowed to prioritize joy Mm. when other people are suffering? And Mm. I don't really know how to answer that without sounding dismissive of other people's suffering. Do you see Mm. what I mean? I I feel like it's very clear that we should do work Mm. to, diminish that suffering and, and bring joy into other people's lives but how do you do that whilst also making time for you and what's the right ratio and is this mm. getting really overcomplicated? you know what mm. I mean mm. so I don't know what you think about that
1: um I think we're touching on a sec for the the, the topic of activism which is so essential and so necessary um I, I think I started writing a poem the other day just because it the word sat in my mouth in a different way to ha- had before it's like activism that kind of sounds a bit like a sort of a disease or something Oh, i'm really sorry <laughs> i've does. got a case of i've got a bad I've case got of a activism bad case
0: of the activism
1: you know because but i guess the way it is because if if you can't balance it like you were saying with with making space for joy in your life mm. and making space for enjoyment and allowing yourself to while recognizing there's needs work to be done and you need to help other people who are having a tough time Recognizing you don't have to be a martyr and sacrifice yourself. Um, otherwise, activism does become a sort of debilitating disease where you can only see negative things to focus on, and you're like, "Oh, I can't feel joy because there's so much bad in the world, and I need to be, I need to be there for it on the front lines every day." And mm. it's like, if you want to do that, like I completely support you on that, but you need to, you need to make space for yourself, and especially for joy, you know, because that's all the ultimate end goal, right? Is is to do that work so that we can have joy for those marginalized and oppressed communities as a more intrinsic right and part of our lives, you know,
0: for sure. It seems like a, yeah, when you put it like that, it seems like a massive irony that the people that are striving to make joy more available from other people are also denying it of themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can, things are overwhelming sometimes and, mm-hmm. and you can pile your plate up too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and not look after yourself. But I guess that's, people People are unreliable sometimes and nature is just so reliable. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's a great place to go back to, to ground yourself and just find a little bit of joy. You know, like it's May, there are different flowers out, let's go find them. Mm -hmm. You know, just little things like that. It probably sounds really twee, (laughs) but maybe I'm really twee
1: i I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and I think what you're i think what you're saying is just kind of have a more of a an appreciation of what's around you and kind of like you know um a more appreci- a more immediate more immediate appreciation of things like kind of in your life on the everyday yeah you know, and not feeling, which i think does speak to that kind of that divide sometimes feeling like there's a certain way to to be joyful there's a certain way to be queer and kind of leaning towards, oh, it has to be this big, you know, kind of like, yeah, kind of like declamatory way. Yes. It's like, was, was no, it's, it's very nuanced. There's space for everybody in there. And I think it's just as valid to like have a really kind of very modest um, sort of like uh, just, uh, you know, not trying to be anything more than it is kind of appreciation mm. of joy in your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To feel content, to feel safe. That's not necessarily you know, fireworks and fanfares, but that's still joyful. Fireworks are
1: actually quite unsafe. I don't know if you've heard. They're pretty
0: unsafe. (laughs) 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 They are pretty unsafe. Um, yeah, no, agree. Agree. But it's something that I suppose I have to be something that I don't always feel comfortable approaching because immediately it sounds as if I'm saying, you know, sounds as if i'm challenging activism which is just the opposite of what i want mm. to do but i suppose making space for different kinds of activism and realizing that actually being joyful is in queerness is an expression of you know it's it's rebellious in in some spheres isn't it if you if you're lucky enough that it's not rebellious then for christ's sake be be grateful for mm, that mm. and revel in it but in other contexts you might you might be a rebel just for being yourself and having a great time mm,
1: absolutely yeah there's this wonderful poem um by the uh by the poet uh joelle taylor mm. which is kind of talking about just that uh, the poem is called it's called <laughs> <"Sto."> um, that's <laughs> literally what it's called um riffing on on canto yes. and um, it kind of finishes with this massive line you know like my life is a protest
0: yes You know, yeah. and it's
1: kind of i think it's kind of kind of relishing that challenge but also kind of like raging against the fact that it's something that she didn't ask for you know it's mm. like i'm just me but i recognize that by just being me yeah i am challenging and i need to stand up for myself advocate for myself in a way that some other people don't yes And i think that is the the bind when you bring queerness and joy together and, and just, and just and queerness on its own. It's like, is, are those things intrinsically linked, you know, or is there a way for them to be, to be separate, you know?
2: Hmm. Oh
0: yeah. I haven't read that poem, but I will. Mm. I don't know if it's appropriate for you to read <laughs> out on a podcast. So based on your, on the title of the poem, but yeah, all good food for thought. But I'm definitely, yeah, I I sit firmly on the on the joy side of the fence, for sure, or the advocating joy side of the fence. Not not to diminish hard work and activism at all, but everybody everybody deserves to have those joyful mm. moments.
1: Yeah, and I think I don't I don't think what you you were sort of saying earlier. I don't think it's having a go activist at all. I think it's more coming from a place of care. It's mm. like it's like I don't want this to destroy you. And you know, it's yeah. really important. But I, I want you to I want you to be okay. I want you yeah. to celebrate who you are as well as speak truth to power.
0: For sure. For sure. Like it's like that. I guess the lifeguard sort of mentality. I'm not gonna dive in mm-hmm. unless I can get myself out. Um it's much worse to have two floundering individuals than than one sadly
1: so we talked about the concept of being queer and queerness what what relationship do you have have to joy and especially kind of thinking about it in your writing because i do see it um perhaps in ways that people might not expect because you know joy is again like queer a very broad term that can be seen from so many different angles um i do see a lot of joy in your work like what does what does joy mean to you
0: i think joy means it's it's kind of like an absence of fear Mm -hmm. and anxiety um and i say that because you can you can be in a situation where you're worried about something like that's happening in the background, maybe you're waiting for results of something or maybe someone in your family is not doing so well or whatever. And you know that you know, in practical terms, that that's just a thing and we can't do anything about it right now. There's nothing I should be doing about it right now. We can go and enjoy a day of doing what I normally do, but you're not fully experiencing joy mm. uh, because there is something sort of in the back of your head like rumbling on. And so I think as well as all of the things that joy is ostensibly, you know, freedom of expression and community and whatever is important to you and having the time to engage in those activities. It, I think it is also fully experienced in the absence of, you know, a significant amount of those negative emotions like fear, anxiety. I feel like I wrote this down. I think that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and also being... Joy is... Not being your own spectator as well. I think you're fully experiencing joy when you've kind of told your spectator to sort of, like, take a back seat. And so, you know, I'm not worried about, like, oh, is my hair okay today? Mm. Um, when I'm walking down the road, I'm not, like, checking myself in every reflective surface. I'm not worried about how I'm coming across when I'm speaking or what my voice is like. I'm just... I've forgotten all of that mm. and I might cringe deeply if I was ever to see a video or a recording of myself doing what I was doing in that joyful state mm. but it would be really clear that I was in a joyful state because I just didn't care I just mm. didn't care um so I think that is where it lands for me what about you
1: mm. I think that's so that's so wonderfully put cuz that idea of putting your spectator to to rest because I think that can be an obstacle to joy. This that that sense of of kind of seeing, experiencing things, and I, from all, I guess like an overly analytical or just not being present kind of thing. Because I'm sure we've had, all had that experience where we're like, I don't know, we went out dancing with some friends, or maybe at a wedding, or you know, if we're performing, it's a performance, and think like, oh, I had such a good time doing that. Mm. And then you watch it back, and then you're like, oh, everything feels a bit smaller, you know, like and like yeah. and like, oh, like I don't like I don't like the way I look there, or like or like I look really silly. Um, but like, there's, the, there's an intense vulnerability to joy because you're not you're not trying to be perfect. You're not trying. You're not trying really. You're just yeah. in that state of, of of loving where you're at and, and really appreciating it. And um, I think that can be a real obstacle to to joy that you articulated on there. Just just put that spectator to bed. Just, you yeah. Know, you know, you're not you, that spectator is not going to help you to to access the joy of the moment.
0: And oh, okay, so that's that's interesting because as you said that I thought I was like so, sort of going through sort of like a roller of experiences I've had, mm-hmm. where I've mm-hmm. been like that was a really joyful experience, and the best I can describe it as is like it's almost like a crash afterwards. You have this really like you have a great event that you go to or perform at. I mean, we can all go and have fun at events, but I suppose when it's you that is doing the performing or or having the attention on you, that's when it can get a little bit ropey mentally. You're having that like pure joy moment. How is it that we can keep that spectator at bay afterwards because it's almost sort of like right you've pushed me out the way for an hour i've got an hour to make up for now in in making you think oh should you have said that thing was that you know like that was was that banter or were you just being a dick (laughs) you know and and how did i come across in that and does anyone take me seriously and you know uh, sometimes it can just come back with like a, a real powerful strength and kind of sucks the joy out of that memory to an extent. Although over time I I tend to forget about that period directly afterwards. Mm. I am definitely someone who has come away from a night that I've massively enjoyed of art and poetry and and participating in that actively and then not really been able to sleep because I I just feel low. I just Mm. feel low after like an amazing evening. So what is that about? I probably am not the only person in the world that experiences that, but I equally haven't had a lot of people to talk to about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. Well,
1: now's your chance, now's your chance. Well, yeah, do you, <laughs> do you have
0: any ideas like about, you know, managing that that after uh, the, the sort of like, the crash after the high, I suppose.
2: Mm.
1: I guess it kind of almost feels. I guess we've talked about this uh, on on this series about, I guess, kind of, if there are limits to joy or like kind of uh, whether whether joy only works in certain contexts. And I think a common theme has been, you know, joy is accessible anywhere, and it's actually kind of I think most essential in in the times where things aren't going particularly well. You know, mm. you're kind of you know experiencing periods of sadness or difficulty or you know, grief or loss. That's when kind of finding your real like little moments, whether it's kind of like noticing something uh, joyful in nature,
2: mm.
1: or something joyful in in your day, and I guess it's I guess it is just that kind of basic appreciation, knowing that it's 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 a finite small thing, and kind of sure. and, and like I guess you know agreeing agreeing with that yeah and and, and and not and and um and not I don't know not kind of I guess bemoaning the fact oh this is over or oh, I feel like embarrassed now in the moment it made me think cause sort of like little joyous moments I have in my writing um, there was one on a, on a script I've been working on uh, uh, for a live show a live theatre show and um, I'd been doing a draft and I'd shared it with a friend of mine who's also a writer and um, I just really liked the way certain words line themselves up in a quite a mm. pleasing way and I'd observed that they wouldn't quite work so well if they're a different way so the phrase was um, uh, this character's talking about, uh, I think, uh, it's just a silly little joke, you know. that's like, in my sort of experience of life, I have about as many rights as the left handed society for left behind, left leaning lefties. Nice. It's just a kind of silly joke. But I'd observed that rhythmically, it worked better than a, the way I'd originally put it, which was the left behind, a left handed society for left leaning, left behind lefties. For some reason, it just works better the other mm-hmm. way around. And I put that in the script as like a little in parentheses and I was like I really love that word so that I wonder why that is like kind of just wondering to myself in a kind of joyful way and I left it in and then I felt really embarrassed because my friend was going to see this and going like, oh what an e- egotistical asshole that oh, they, must, okay. they must be okay and I was like I kind of had to sit with that and be like okay you know like I found I found joy in that and I could feel like embarrassment for someone kind of seeing my vulnerability of being mm-hmm. joyful you know just kind of celebrating that little kind of happy accident and kind of like wondering about it. But uh, I think that's part of the deal is like, it's just kind of like rolling with those feelings and not kind of getting caught up in the after aftermath that might kind of take that joy away, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. So your sort of spectator is just a total kill joy, I think is what I'm getting <laughs> from not yours, but yeah. one's, you know, and, and they're kind of like, well, yeah, there was joy there, but was that, you know, was that really appropriate? Like, come on. Be a bit more boring. It's like kind of trying to make you boring because mm. I don't know why. I want I want to just blame society now and just throw the word society <laughs> out there and just be like, ah, St- society. Um, the but mother, I,
1: the mother of all umbrella terms. It's society. <laughs> it
0: we live in a society. Um, but it's Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that because when I got introduced to this concept um a while ago of like. Do you know like the two the two dogs that like are in your head, the top dog and the underdog? It's like a total okay. total game changer if you don't mind me going into it. Yeah, of course, it's made me sort of like frame that spectator, the you know the the critic, inner critic, mm. right, mm. as one of those dogs. So if you're like say I'm sort of like you know I wanna I wanna go to this. Party. Someone's invited me to a party, but it's a bit rowdy. It's maybe sort of out, I'm not going to know loads of people, mm. and I'm going. Whoa. My immediate feeling is like anxiety, and I, you know, how am I going to behave in this? And then, and that's my underdog speaking. And then straight away, my top dog's like, "Oh, come on, don't be pathetic." <laughs> and then everybody's like, you know, they're just growling at each other the whole time. But the better way of dealing with that is sort of like taming your top dog a bit, and going okay well that's a feeling why don't you just go for an hour then you get to see everybody see how it goes and if you're having a great time then you stay if not then we've done the nice thing and we go home and watch Finding Nemo or, or something like that and it's like a totally transformative way of thinking and I hadn't thought about that in a critic in the same way I think we maybe need to tame our inner critics and be like, look, lighten up, mate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come on. It doesn't all have to be boring and negative. You can just, you know, be silly. I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and look at my inner critic as like this curmudgeonly old goat and be like, ah, come on. Come on, just give him a like. That.
1: You've got little, a whole menagerie in there. You've little got nudge your, in the
0: ribs. Come on, man. Yeah,
1: you've got your top dog and your underdog and yeah. your your curmudgeonly old goat in a critic. I, I mean, love
0: it. Yeah.
1: As a as a lover of animals, that makes perfect sense for it's you. It's
0: literally just like a farm in my head <laughs> <laughs> at all times. The noise, the smells yeah a little a little in my mm-hmm. brain, but yeah that's, that's a useful useful thing to reflect on actually, because I think that does make it easier.
1: yeah and absolutely, and I guess I guess talking about the, the spectator and the the critic <laughs> as writers, we need that because I think what marks us out or makes us good at what we do is that we're innately curious about the mm-hmm. world and people, and if we if we let the critic or the kind of or the spectator, whatever you want to call it be too kind of i don't yeah i guess not open and not not kind of just like letting things come in Mm. not having not having too much of a filter on the world that's ultimately going to diminish the power of your writing you know kind of if you can't get out of the way basically and just enjoy and kind of revel in what you're feeling inspired by whether you're inspired by nature or you're inspired by people or you know like a certain a certain thing that we do as humans, you know, you kind of need to have that innate curiosity and get you out do, and get out the yeah. way to let, to let it inform your writing.
0: Yes. It's kind of like having, have you ever had a micromanager? I have not. No. Oh, well, good for you because it's a terrible experience and it stifles everything you do. Like you, you mm. stop being, it, yeah. it like paralyzes you. Mm. I can't even start because immediately I'm thinking about what my manager, my micromanager is going to say. And I suppose a a severe inner critic is, is like a micromanager, just like it sucks that joy out of everything. It stops you being curious because it makes you fear failure. And I think the best leaders, coaches, mentors are ones that kind of go, oh, so that kind of didn't work and you go yeah I really really screwed that up and they go like yeah I kind of saw that coming but it's all part of the process you know Mm. um just maybe we we could you know see our our inner critics as as mentors and be like you know if we don't like them we can ask for another one (laughs) you know it's easier said than done like working in your own head but it's a good way to frame it I think
1: like what is your relationship with that younger writer
0: um I think good now like uh, to sum it up in in one word I think I've done a lot of work of just accepting that it's it's not about looking back on yourself and going like oh what a dick (laughs) you know it's about going that's that's who you were and and things are different now and how do we if we are identifying things that we didn't like in in that version of you then then what is it that caused that and what can we do to to take away some of the stress and the triggers that were making you feel like that or making you react to to certain stimuli like that you know why did it why did it bother you and when people didn't you know appreciate like your expertise well is that more to do with your ego then you know yeah it probably is but also not giving yourself a hard time for that and just you know it's, it's all sort of like a a journey of self-acceptance but like yeah flipping through a photo album it's like the facebook memories of of your life but just with like bucket loads more context because it's all been written down and you can remember why you wrote that line, and and what prompted you to use that metaphor, and and so yeah, it's it's more like watching a film than flip, flipping through a photo album, isn't mm. it? When you when you're reading back your old stuff, but you know that was then, this is now. I feel pretty cool about that person, mm-hmm. those people.
1: Mm. That's great. It's it's so important to have that um, that positive relationship with your your younger self, just kind of guess. Acknowledging that you have the permission to grow and change and, yeah. and, and, and try different things out, certainly, definitely as a person, but certainly as a writer.
0: Mm-hmm. And also recognizing when your younger self is speaking to you and listening properly. You know, if when I feel anxious, some it's a really useful emotion to have, it's on, it's on the emotional color wheel, as it were, mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's wrong to sort of try and eliminate it, but sometimes it, it gets used where it's it's not helpful. And so, you know, that's usually a younger version of you going, oh, I'm worried about this. And you go like, okay, why are we worried about this? Example, nothing to do with writing. For a very long time and up until very recently, I get like quite a lot of uh, travel anxiety. Mm. Um, where I go away with work a lot, I stay in hotels. And when I'm in hotels by myself, there it's just like, it would be a really weird and extreme situation if I was unsafe in, in that hotel. But for some reason I get, what? Well, oh, what if I don't get any sleep because I've got like a crap neighbor? What if people are stomping around? You know, like what if, what if, what if, like these bad things are happening? And it took me a while to realize that that probably came from a period, a year when I was at uni, where I was living with some people I didn't know very well, who were quite like problematic and borderline, like abusive to each other. And all I had was non-visual cues to tell me when it was like okay in the house and when it wasn't. Mm. And so I didn't realize until I put two and two together that when I'm sort of in a room by myself, like traveling alone, my ears are like, right, we are, we are your first line of defense and we are gonna assess everything for threat. Mm. And once I'd realized that's what I was doing, then I can go back to 19 year old me and say, this is different. This is a different situation because you're not in that house. You're not with those abusive people. Um, you're not in danger. You're just in a hotel on a train and if someone is really rowdy then you know you can go downstairs and ask to change rooms or just leave like and just trying to talk to yourself about why that is that is a good way of fostering a good relationship with yourself your past selves rather than just going like don't be so ridiculous (laughs) like this you know unempathetic parent that we can sometimes be to mm, those people mm. so I think that's why I can sort of look back on like my really cringy stuff and go ah oh well <laughs> you know it's nice that I'm not there anymore rather than oh what a pathetic poem to write or that was completely out of proportion or anything like that
1: absolutely and I think that phrase you chose there uh is really apt that you know the unempathetic parent we can always be to ourselves and, I, and I've been thinking about this because I think Certainly if you're new to something and you're going out and trying stuff out and, you know, hopefully you get really good feedback, but often you're often, you know, will be exposed to people being very critical or not very nice. Yep. I've kind of realised, not not that there isn't something potentially constructive to take from those difficult encounters, but I've kind of realised that if somebody is coming at you with a very negative response to something you've done and and they're kind of in that power position where you know you're kind of going like oh what did you think or like you know you're just chatting about something they're probably coming from that unempathetic parent Mm. perspective and that they don't have a very good relationship with their younger self yeah you know and um and i think that is Probably it's quite. I think it's quite an important thing to be uh, as a writer is to have a, a good relationship with all the different parts of yourself, because they come out in your writing, whether whether mm-hmm. whether you want them to or not. You know, you'll be writing something, and you'll maybe be using a character or perhaps p- personifying something. And you'll think, why is it talking about that? Like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have any opinions on that. Or this is this is new to me, mm. but of course, it's an extension of your psyche. It's you know, it's an extension of you.
0: Yeah. And if you can recognise the part of yourself that's coming out rather than be like, well, we're not on, you know, we're not going down that line. We can go, well, OK, you need to speak. You need to speak and you deserve to speak. So let's just park whatever we were writing and let you speak, because like you said, it's coming out. It's coming out. And if you don't let it come out when it wants, it will explode out in an, a place or a time that you don't want it to. Um it has to be heard all of the all of the parts of you have to be heard so you have to try and make space for every single one of them
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: absolutely yeah if baby me wants to have a a bitch fest on the (laughs) paper and just sound like a real egotistical little um then go for it
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i love that i don't
0: have to perform that one (laughs) but we can write it (laughs)
1: thinking about um poetry and kind of the, the, the power of words i'm really fascinated by the stuff that i do i think it's particularly pertinent to this this podcast series and this project you know putting together the two words queer and joy mm. and kind of seeing what is created when you um whether new or already there when you put those two words together i'm really fascinated by you know putting words together and, and kind of how through the magic and power of words, kind of something new is created. Mm. I've been really obsessed with the word landfill recently.
0: Landfill. Okay. Yeah, it sounds right. like a bit
1: of a, bit of a odd thing to be obsessed with, but just cause I, I'm so, I kind of boiled it down to, it's an example of making, it's making something sound kind of like more than it actually is, you know? Okay. So you've got the word land, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we all know what land is. And we've got the word fill. We all know kind of what fill is. So you put those together and, you know, it kind of creates the meaning of filling the land. Yes. Which sounds like a productive thing, but is actually not. Uh, So I've boiled it down to, it's an example of making the simple, stupid act of filling the land with rubbish into a semblance of a solution.
0: I like that. Do
1: you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I like that. But it's a kind lot. of like
1: because you've bound those things together it makes this whole new thing and it's like, yeah. oh, let's just do the landfill thing. It's like what is actually? I think that's kind of I was just so struck by that by like the power of words and I wonder whether you have any things that's kind of spring to mind of like kind of how words can have that kind of transformative power when you kind of as as you do as a poet, you kind of you're fascinated by the interlocking of words and what meanings that creates, and what interesting things you can do with words, and like I wonder if you have any things that spring to mind.
0: Oh man, I'm almost certain I do, but because I'm on the spot, I'm a little bit like a deer in the headlights. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It, that's that's metaphor, isn't it? That's mm. metaphor and simile, and that is sort of like the 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 bread <laughs> of of what of what we do, and I it, it can almost get to a I guess from the outside perspective, a an unnecessarily pernickety degree, but actually, you're you're just sort of like honing in on on like the microscope of of language and the English language in mm. this case. And sometimes it's interesting to compare how other languages approach different things. And one of the things that I like the most, and that like will actually have me like wetting myself just by myself because Mm. I love them so much. It's English idioms and the rate at which like listening back to this, I'm absolutely sure if you tried, we will have used so many English idioms that are so commonplace that we don't even realize we're using them Mm. anymore. Mm. You know, they're not the it's raining cats and dogs. Like, yes, that's an English idiom, but I used one this morning um, and I said, I said to my partner, I was like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll get by. And I was like, get by. Mm-hmm. Those are just two words that don't really, <laughs> what am I getting by? Mm-hmm. Where does the word get come into this? And and it just makes me laugh that like this is all just absolutely fine. And everybody understands the context when we're speaking in normal vernacular but it is bizarre, and it doesn't translate well. And I think things that don't translate well are the are some of the most fun things to pick apart, mm-hmm. because you can really sort of dig into, you know, the meaning. You can find your own meaning, and you can also just laugh at the absurdity of things. You know, um, like when someone says, uh, oh, "I think I'm nicking this off off a YouTube video." Oh, how how often do you do? you know, how often do you p- play football? Oh, every now and again. Every now. Mm-hmm. Every now and again. <laughs> we would be, like, caught in this, like, hellish, torturous, perpetual football loop <laughs> if we played football every now and again. It's just, like, it would take up every single waking moment of your life. But that's mm-hmm. that's not what mm-hmm. it means. And so that's that's where, like, the funniness of it, it all comes in. I, d- I don't know if you can think of any idioms that you sort of enjoy.
1: I love that, I've never, I've never.
0: I uh, did, d- nick dug, that, did that every now and again when I did nick That's off. That's brilliant, off I've Instagram. never dug into that
1: phrase before. But you're right, because things just pass you by and you don't even.
0: Pass you by. Re, that's like (laughs) that's completely passed me by. (laughs) You can just imagine this like concept on wheels, just like (laughs) trundling past you. Yeah, Uh, to turn it into like a physical visual thing, it just gets me. And I know I share I share the love of it with my partner's mum because I think you know we've got a very similar sense of humour in that mm -hmm. way. But is too funny
1: yeah and the English language is so rich for that because it is a real it is a real like mongrel I would say sometimes you know kind of it's like a thieves language because we kind of nick yeah. things from all yeah, over the do. place you know got words like juggernaut which kind of I believe come from come from Hindi and we've obviously got words from French and German and, and all kind and like you know sc- Scand- Scandinavian languages mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a very conf- it's a very confusing I think, from an outside and inside perspective, language that is kind of just rich for having those moments we sit and kind of revel in the stupidity. I think that is a joyous uh, exercise as a writer, which I certainly love as well. Yeah. Just kind of analyzing why do we, why is this the way it is? And like when you delve into it, like that's insane.
0: Yeah, yeah and it's got this really rich history. And some of it might be Germanic, and some of it might be romantic. I, I'm, I've just so I have a I have a friend from school. Who is uh, as interesting uh, in the head as I am, and we like to send each other occasionally when we hear these little idioms. We'll we'll send them to us uh, each other. So I've just brought up my little text message thing with him now, and one of them is um, "come to." So like, <laughs> if you've just woken up, you've just come to. Oh no, don't don't ask Nan anything. She's only just come to. Mm-hmm. Like, come to what? Mm-hmm. come to a state of awareness but it's it's completely understandable for english people mm. and that's also one of the most like wonderful things about being in the writing community is meeting people whose first language isn't the same as yours because they'll challenge you on that kind of thing and you're just like you know what I don't know I don't really know my own language mm-hmm. you know i don't i had I haven't studied mm. my language. I don't have an intimate knowledge of my language and so it's it brings it brings the words back to you fresher and newer. And I also started following on Instagram BBC Learning English. Okay. I know English. I'm pretty hot on English, actually. <laughs> it's the only one. <laughs> I know. I'm not bilingual uh, or anything like that, although I do have a, a good stab at Welsh. But watching BBC Learning English shorts, it's just like, oh, my God, I never, I've just completely taken that word for granted. Mm. And that's where it comes from. And there's a difference between f- the word fun mm-hmm. and the word funny. Mm. They are so different. Those two words are like wildly different, mm. but to a non-native speaker that would actually be quite confusing so mm. you know words within words like you know, like I put the fun in funeral <laughs> 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 you know in a, perhaps inappropriate, but yeah bit bits and pieces like that i think it's it's a it's a huge infinite playground, isn't it language, phrases idioms and that's why you never run out of material,
1: for sure. But I think I think that thing of finding words within words does kind of, you know, to take the fun and funeral example. You know, like it's, I um, you know, in different cultures. You know, certainly like in Mexican culture, they do have a more fun attitude to death. You're
0: right, yeah. And
1: it, it does kind of inc- those words within words, and the and and the things, the little games you can play with words that I find really joyful as a writer, because um, I think I think people really love when you kind of you take a word and you find a new way of looking at it or you put two words together and they kind of
0: riff off each other like just mm-hmm. be as ridiculous as you can mm-hmm. because there's a lot of day there's a lot of day and there's a lot of potential mundanity in that day and if you can wacky up the mundane aspects of your day then you just it's just perpetually entertaining mm-hmm. and you're not always in that mindset but when you are it is just fantastic. That's yeah.
1: joy. And sort of thinking about like the boundaries that words are supposed to have, it made me think of um. So I was having a chat with my friend the other day, and we ended up having quite deep conversations about our respective relationships with gender and where we come to. And she very closely identifies with the word woman, mm-hmm. but has never felt woman enough, and and has felt very sort of very complicated emotions. And she's like, I really connect with people and I think people see me as non-binary but you know I do very much feel that I'm a woman and I I I I feel very attached to and close to that word not that I don't like being seen as non-binary you know I just feel more attached to the word woman and um we've been having this wonderful chat and she kind of come to her own ownership of it it's like this is what it means for me and that's just Mm -hmm. as valid I was so glad to hear that and then I just by sheer eerie coincidence was reading uh this collection and came across this poem, which was kind of riffing on this, and I'm going to share it with you if you don't mind. Oh, Um, yeah,
0: please, that sounds great.
1: It's this poem by a writer, Rachel Wiley. Rachel Wiley's poem, Handsome. At the statue where we have stopped, to buy the candy we will sneak, into the movies on date night, the cashier greets us with a smile, compliments my dress, says I look so pretty tonight, before wondering out loud why my date isn't also dressed up, as though she isn't standing right next to me, paying for the candy. Doesn't she want to be pretty too? I cannot stop the giggle that erupts from my startled throat at witnessing what could only be this grown woman's first ever sighting of a real live butch in the wild. My date doesn't want to be pretty. She doesn't need to want to be pretty to be a woman. She is a woman because she tells me so. She is a woman because there is no wrong way to woman. She is a woman on her terms. A woman with the lump of a soft leather billfold in her back pocket who holds my doors and doesn't mind that my grandma calls her a little gentleman wears a pair of boxer briefs better than most men and is the only person I've ever called daddy. A woman who is often tipped less than the flirty femmes on the waitstaff she manages because her not pretty makes people uncomfortable. My date was dressed up for date night, wearing a dress shirt, a slightly loose necktie, pants that I'm almost certain she ironed, When she picked me up from my house, I swooned at the cuffs of her shirt rolled to her elbows, her tattoos peeking out, a hint of things under the dress shirt I would trace fingers along later. In a similar such moment of fingers sliding along skin, I called her beautiful. She buried her face into my neck and politely refused it, said it wasn't her word and she still remains a woman. A woman who grins and blushes an entire sunset when I shyly tell her she is handsome. The most handsome sunset I've ever seen.
0: That's dope. Mm-hmm. That's such a good poem. Oh, so relatable as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Super cool. I don't I mean, there's so so much that comes out of that. So many acceptable different ways to be a human being.
1: That's and it, that's it,
2: right?
0: I I was saying to you before I came in, right, that I've just started going to the gym, mm-hmm. basically. I've always liked being active. Mm-hmm. But it was just—it's only just recently, despite the fact I've been out and and theoretically (laughs) really queer since I was in my early twenties, probably before that actually, that I was like, oh my god, like I admire people that you know are just unashamedly themselves and present in that way, and it's just been this really like gross hangover from being younger that has made me think like well yeah but are you allowed to be like that and now I'm like no I want I want to get like super strong I want to get like man strong (laughs) (laughs) but it won't be man strong because it'll be me it'll be like Jane strong
1: absolutely and I
0: want to be able to do the pointless things that I want to do, like do a pull up or a handstand again. Cause I haven't done one of them since I was like six mm. <laughs> and I just, I don't know what's made me land on that, but it's probably got something to do with spending lots of time with different people that I love and admire. And that's slowly, slowly falling away. It, it kind of, it's felt like a, remember when you were a kid and like, one of your molars was coming out and it might hang on like by some grisly bit of gum for like over 24 hours and you are like, i need to get rid of this but it's too painful Mm. and it will come off by itself i feel like that like grisly bit of societal gum (laughs) has finally set itself free and it's it's an it's an awesome thing and this person it would be really cool and interesting to see a poem written by that person's partner Mm. about how they feel about the way that their partner is with them. Because also being lucky enough to have someone in your life that loves you exactly for who you are Mm. and calls you beautiful or pretty or says you look nice, despite the fact that you're being the person that as a, a younger person or in other contexts, even now was rejected as like inappropriate or like, I don't understand you. Why have you worn this to this event? That's like, yeah, it's black tie, but it's different for women. Mm. It just completely like changes your attitude. And I often say to people like, if someone tells you they love you enough, it eventually lands. Mm. There's believing in something and then there's like owning it. And eventually it just lands. And so yeah, the the best way to do that is just to surround yourself with people that, that love you for who you are, I think. Mm. And if, if you're lucky enough to experience that, that's joy, mm. for sure. But what a great poem. That's Absolutely. Wicked.
1: I'm glad it resonated with you.
0: It totally did. I kind of filibustered there. What are your reflections on that?
1: I think it's just I'm really glad that people, I think, seeing more and more... Um, just there's 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 no one right way to be a be a human. As you yeah. said yourself, and that uh, and that uh, like like us, the words we use are just as changeable and flexible. And that they're not like these bound costumes that are kind of have to be fitted, you know, uh to the point where they're constricting your airflow. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, I used to use the word kind of like man strong and said, Well I'm gonna be I'm gonna be Jane strong. Well there's like an example where we are having to redefine what we thought a word meant you know as in like oh like strong and man a sense of putting words together again yeah and it's like oh that's what it means but of course like uh you know that that, that the word strong is applicable to, to to anybody in a multitude of different ways and um I'm just so glad to live in a time where we are we are much more forgiving of ourselves and we are much more able to find ways to reflect who we are in in positive and joyful ways um, through through the through words that perhaps before seemed a lot more narrow than they actually are.
0: Yes, definitely, definitely true. And it's I was just thinking there when you said strong man. Mm. If you take strong man and in, it, create a picture in your head, and then take strong woman and mm. create a picture in your head, strong doesn't mean physical in that second instance, does it? It means like emotionally strong mm. or like a leader. That. That's a problem. It's a problem Absolutely. that my brain is trained that way. And it's a strange thing to untrain it, but it's like a really cool adventure as well, because you yeah. don't know what else you're going to untrain yeah. at the same time.
1: They've, res- they've done research into this um, in like people are trying to get people to associate uh, certain descriptive words with man or woman. Mm. And they found that there's this blip in the brain which is a little blip called uh, Ingrained Prejudice, I would argue. Okay. <laughs> which is when you try and – so, you so you know, someone does the exercise of, like, associating the word man with strong. There's no delay. It's a very fluid response. Sure. Try and you know, associate the word strong with woman, you know, and whoever is answering, there tends to be a little bit of a delay. Interesting. Or, you know, associating the word compassionate with a man.
2: Yeah. There's
1: that little bit of delay. And that is, like, you know – the societal soup that we live in mm-hmm. we get these kind of things that we didn't ask for which is certain associations and limitations of who certain words are allowed to include
0: yes definitely oh we all need to do loads of work on that that should be <laughs> there's
1: imp- your homework that, that should it. be
0: pse shouldn't it not like list every std in the world <laughs> like, but yeah let's break down these these biases and, and the language that we use.
1: if we're kind of sort of digging down into the things where we kind of find joy in writing, something that I really love, that it was a word I was only introduced to recently, um, uh, I was actually quite healing in a way from my kind of own identity as a sort of genderqueer person Mm -hmm. when I kind of saw that language kind of reflected me in a way. Do you know what contronyms are? No, I don't. So a contronym is a word that means one thing and also the opposite thing, or kind of, you know, Mm, thereabouts at the same time. So a good example is you could say, Oh, they left the room, but they left behind their bag.
0: Oh, okay. Sure. So in a sense sure. of
1: like they've gone and that's what left means, but left also means something staying.
0: Yes. Oh you know? cool. Yeah. And Interesting thought, word.
1: And I love that because it's kind of it's 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 hilarious. It's yeah. silly. It's like well, they kind of contradict each other, but it's also kind of showing that this idea that this the things are one thing or the other is a bit of a myth, you know? Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, there's so much of a, a heated debate around, you know, kind of what words are allowed to mean, certainly when you're thinking about, you know, sex and gender, the words man mm-hmm. and woman.
2: Yeah.
1: But I think those, those debates uh, kind of struggle to kind of succeed in the way that people might want to, because words are so much more flexible than, than we would have them believe. Yes. We would have ourselves believe they are.
0: We can all be self-appointed, um, Oxford English Dictionary, lexicologists when it suits us too, can't we? We yes. can all really double down on the meaning of something and then probably not realise that we don't apply those rules in our everyday life. And actually, speaking of lexicologists, um, oh, her name's escape me. What is the name of the wonderful lady that... Oh, Susie Dent from Countdown. Yes, yes. She did a talk, she did a tour... I came to Mast here in Southampton to see her, Susie Dent, some, like the amazing life of words. And it was total joy to listen to her, just totally fascinating person. And what I got from that was that a lot of people, she did this Q&A at the end, you know, like pop a in the interval, pop a question about language in a, and a little bit of paper, chuck it in a box and I'll go through a few at the end. And it was interesting because she spent the second half of her act kind of like slating this um, purist approach to the English language. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. I think a lot of people went there going, I have a really good grasp of the English language. It's important to me that, you know, I hate slang. I don't like text speak, I, you know... I think it's important that we preserve certain elements of our language. And I, you know, don't like it when the Oxford Dictionary decides to put twerk in there and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Whereas her opinion couldn't be further from that. She was really fluid and she gave this great learned approach to, you know, one word in particular, like the word ghost. The word ghost in English is spelt with an H-G-H-O-S-T. Mm-hmm. And people might be quite upset if people misspelled that. But the reason that I'm probably going to get this slightly wrong, but bear with me. The reason that ghost is spelt with an H is because when people first read it, when the printing press was invented, Mm -hmm. the story that involved the word ghost, which had up until that point been spelt without an H, because why would you spell that word with an H? Mm -hmm. Um, was being printed by a man whose first English was Dutch. Uh, first language was Dutch, mm. and I think he was like, "Oh, this doesn't seem like it's spelt right. I'm gonna put an H after the G." Mm. And because it was in writing, because it was in a newspaper, well, that's now the truth. And she also talked about the word doubt. Uh, doubt's got to be in it. Mm. Debt's got to be in it. Well, why is debt got to be in it? Um, mm. You know, why is that? We'd probably be a bit like, oh, come on, spelling if you spelled it wrong. But again, a similar, not a similar reason, but an equally arbitrary one in that when people were writing on the printing press, whatever council of people that decided how things were going to be spelt now, because up until this point, it was quite fluid because no one was putting things in print. They said well the word doubt comes from a latin word jubitus and that's got a b in it and i think we need to hint at the latin so we'll chuck a b in it and that's the reason that doubt's got to be in it okay. <laughs> like you know so i just found it it was really refreshing to be to hear someone that knew so much about the rules of language and yet was so like, Hey, you know, these, these are rules, but what are rules? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. who's decided on rules? What, what was the party of people that decided this means this, and this is how you spell it. And and I think that's exactly the same for for language when it comes to sexuality and gender, you know, mm-hmm. just take it all with a pinch of salt, mm. all of it. And that was a really roundabout a verbose way of getting back round to your original point.
1: No, I loved you showing that <laughs> example. It's um, I think language certainly can be gatekept by people. Mm. Um, I think particularly when you can be working in spheres like, like poetry, where there are a lot more kind of like classical ideas of what correct poetry is. Yeah. I know one of my favourite poets is John Cooper Clarke and people really look down on him, I think from a kind of more, you know, classical academic sense, sure. you know, because it's not, it's seen as like, you know, like pop punk poetry, it's not real poetry. Yeah.
2: But like yeah, yeah.
1: the main thing is it connects with people and people yes. love it. Um, and it's and it's funny and it's profound and at times and it's ridiculous. Um, I think that's the only kind of measure we should have for 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 art and certainly the evolution of language. It's like it doesn't matter what's proper; it's a reflection mm. of what's going on right now.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think as well when it comes to like the the shoulds and the shouldn'ts of poetry well it's important to remember that you know you might you might come at something with this i know a bit about poetry but a little knowledge is a dangerous thing Mm. you might oh well you know like it should have meter it should have form it should have structure people have probably been writing academic essays and continue to purely on the question what is poetry where does it start where does poetry start and prose end and and that's that's a that's a huge question. So don't, don't diminish like the importance of of those discussions by going, Oh, well, it's, you know, free verse and rap and that's not really music or that's not really poetry. It's like, well, why not? What is it to you? And why is that the truth? (laughs) You know, why, why should that be true? Um, It's not necessarily, I think it's a great question. It's a good, that's another podcast worth of material, that, <laughs> isn't
1: absolutely,
2: it? <laughs>
0: absolutely,
1: absolutely. It's a joint production by Ree Barosh and Artful Scribe. To find out about and get involved in the fantastic work that Artful Scribe do, please go to artfulscribe.co.uk. You can follow them on the socials at artfulscribe. Follow Re at Ree Barosh to find out what they're up to.